When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All Things Podcast. This episode is titled Web Development Pitfalls, The Dangers of DIY Auth. And that is, of course, do-it-yourself auth, meaning your login screen and how you handle authenticating users onto your membership sites or comment systems or whatever else whatever else you have there, a web app or something that they log into. Some dangers that Mike is going to tell us about today. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon Leave a review rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server. Share this with your friends. And Mike, what's the dangers of DIY, DIY auth? Yeah, absolutely. So just before we jump too far into the dangers, I do want to kind of give an overview on what authentication in like a web application is and what it's for. Um, so from a basic high level, what do you need auth for in your app, right? First thing is, is like signing in and signing, signing in and signing up. Right, you need to sign, have someone sign in or sign up to your to your platform or your to do list, whatever you're doing. Uh, then you need to be able to, with that information, you need to be able to control access to sensitive information, maybe on a tier scale. So maybe admins need to see one thing, like different roles need to see another thing. Like you need to be able to control information based on who's logged in, right? And the last thing from a, again, from a very high level is you need to allow users to interact with your application and actually have it persist across platforms or persist across browsers or whatever. Like if someone were to create a to-do list and if there was no authentication, you either have a free-for-all. So everyone is adding to the same to-do list doable. Like that's from a technical perspective, you could do that. But obviously from a practical perspective, that would be chaos. Having said that, now that I've said that, I kind of want to build it. <laughs> like, you want to see hilarious? everyone else's to-dos? And... I kind of just want to build a chaotic to-do list. It would just be called chaos to-do or something like that. And just allow everyone to add to-dos to it, like whatever. You could do something really crazy, and I don't know why I thought <laughs> of this first, but you could do something like I use a to-do app for my grocery list, and then I just, you know, delete once I'm done the week, I just delete it. And then the next week, I fill it up. Um, this is really like kind of devious. You tell nobody that it's the chaotic to-do list or it's like a part <laughs> of the chaotic to-do list. And then you have AI detect that it is indeed a grocery list. And you just occasionally add stuff. Oh, God. So you just like random or you change stuff. Like instead of getting chocolate chip cookies, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, we're getting like peach slices. <laughs> Oatmeal cookies. Oatmeal cookies. <laughs> Just minor things so that you don't like notice it too much. The worst thing would be is like if you share your grocery list with like your wife or your girlfriend and then like the AI is the one that's adding it and you think it's just your wife adding it and you go to the store and you come back with like 15 boxes of like whatever because you're not going to argue with your wife or girlfriend. Like if she adds something, that's it. I always say like just whatever's on the list is what I go get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like unless there's something like super like good deal or something that I walk by and, and I grab up grabbing some. 
Whatever's on the list. So if it's if it's 15 boxes, and I don't mean 15 bunches, I mean 15 boxes of bananas. And I'm, I'm coming home with like a couple pounds of bananas or however much that would weigh. Yeah, so um, kind of want to make that. I kind of want to make a chaotic to-do list. Let let us know uh, at HTML everything on Twitter or uh, yeah, and uh, if you would participate in that social experiment um, because it kind of sounds fun. But in a real world sense, you won't want that and you'll want every user to only see, edit, update, and delete their own to-dos. So this is where you need authentication as well. Like it's the security part of it. It's the actual functionality part of it. There's so many different things, but it seems simple from a high level because like, okay, you're just blocking stuff out. Like you have a password and an email. Just make sure that you don't, you store that and you don't lose it and stuff like that. Like it, it does seem kind of simple. I remember when I was first starting out as a web developer, especially in full stack, I designed my own authentication system and I implemented it. And like from a very simple situation where you just have to input a password, right? If it's my own authentication system and that's it, it is kind of simple. But as soon as you start going one layer deeper, two layers deeper, it becomes a huge like onion of complexity, right? Let's just get into what causes that complexity real quick. You need to account for different sign-in methods. Lately, password and email signups have been kind of being faded away for other methods because of the security aspect and the convenience aspect. When I go to a site that has like a Google or a Microsoft login, I'm always going to use the Google or Microsoft login. I never will create a username and password because for many reasons. One is convenience, and that's the number one reason. I don't want to store another password. I don't want to have to remember that. I don't want them to even have my password. Even though I create a new password for every login that I create, I just don't want them to have a password if I don't have to. With an OAuth, like I'm already logged into Google. I just want to piggyback on that. That one I remember. And then I also only give them my email, my Google email. I don't have to give them anything else unless they request it, right? Like the, when you create a custom login, you're giving them usually more stuff. So you have to support OAuth. All the other ones like GitHub, Apple, there's like a, a ton of like every service, Twitter, every service Microsoft. has its own OAuth at this point. Yeah, Microsoft, exactly. Like literally every service has its own OAuth platform at this point. Sometimes you have to support two of them. Sometimes you have to support five of them. I, I mean, I've seen ones where it's like the list is super long where you have to scroll um, or like there's like a little more button that expands. So sometimes you have to support all of them, but like that, that's fairly rare. Usually you pick like the ones that are most relevant for your audience. If it's a developer audience, probably GitHub is going to rank on top there with Microsoft and Google. Um, if it's maybe a different audience, Apple might be a really important one. Regardless, you have to kind of pick and choose because giving everyone every option can become kind of chaotic. I would like to point out like a, like an actual UX problem though on OAuth. Um, and that is that if you haven't signed in to whatever service it is for a while, or if you've been signed in for a long time, and then you suddenly need to re-log in for whatever reason, uh, you might forget what service you've logged in as and how many times have like, I mean, how many times have I even gone in and accidentally just created a new account? And it's like, wait, this isn't my account. And it's like back out. It's like, was it Google? Try that. Oh, I just made a second account or third account, I guess, at this point. It's like, well, I, okay. Maybe it was Twitter. And then there's, there have been instances in which they've removed a service 
And I guess now I'm supposed to use like my email in that, but I didn't know that because I didn't, I don't spend hours a day managing my usernames and stuff. So it's uh, like OAuth in that way is a little bit, a little bit of a pain. It can get, it can be a little bit of a pain. And again, when you're using that or when you're implementing that, you kind of have to think about that as well. Like what happens if one of these goes down for like recently Twitter's OAuth went down. Like, like because of all the stuff that's going on over there at X slash Twitter, the OAuth wasn't working. So now you have to accommodate people that only use Twitter to then be able to use other service, other platforms. Essentially, you can kind of get around that with like, okay, syncing up emails. So when you, when you do a Twitter or a Google, usually the email is synced up. Like you, you pull the email from the service and then you can store that in a database. And if someone were to, for instance, like in Matt's case, were to try to log in with their email, and password that they thought that they already created, uh, it, you could immediately say like, Hey, you already have an account to use a, another provider or something like that. So you can, you can accommodate for that. But again, it's added complexity. That's something that wasn't part of that initial basic high level explanation that I thought that I talked about that you have to design features around yourself and make sure that's all secure and stuff like that. The other, there's other login methods as well nowadays. Magic links is a really popular one that I'm kind of iffy on. I don't really, I don't think it's the best method, but people really like it. Some, uh, where instead of having a password, uh, you create your account. And when you create your account with your email, you get a verification link in your email. And the assumption is, is that your email is you and it's secured. And then anytime you want to log in, instead of typing in a password, you type in your email and it will send you a link to your email with a magic link, essentially a login session. And when you click on that link, you're logged in. So that's another method of, th- of authentication. Um, whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. Yeah, you might have to support it. Uh, Web3, so with wallets like MetaMask, Phantom, and all that, they've become an authentication method because you can have a offline signature called a nonce that is unique to your wallet signature. And when you click sign like you can prompt the user to sign a nonce and that will always be the user's authentication encrypted code and therefore you can assume that if this is them the first time this is them forever and it becomes much easier to kind of coordinate who is who uh based on their wallet so web3 authentication is one of those things that actually like is kind of a good part of Web3, like wallet authentication. It makes it a little bit easier. You just have to make sure you know how to log into your wallet. And then it's like literally a press of a button on any website that has Web3 auth. Um, and it's fairly secure. Like it, I don't think it's been cracked at all. Uh, obviously, you might have to support password. Like there's certain situations or a lot of situations where you still want your email and password and you want to support hashing and all that. So there's just many, many different kinds. And the last one here, and probably the most complex one for the, um, is SSO, which is single sign-on. So companies, large enterprises, will have a account for each user for each one of their employees that's managed by Microsoft or Google or Okta, like some other third party. And what they want to do is instead of having their employees create every, an account for every single service. They want those services to instead support their accounts that they've already created for their enterprise. And so when you're trying to bring like onboard an enterprise level customer, this is one of the requirements usually. So again, this is another 
pretty serious complexity because now you're communicating with a third party service, an enterprise third party service, Okta, Google, Microsoft, whatever, uh, to be able to support their authentication method, have that communication back and forth. That can be fairly complex. So again, a lot of different sign in methods. What else is complicated? Well, enhanced security, two factor authentication, like having to support that from scratch. It's, it's tough. It's not easy. Encryption. You don't want communication between your server and your client to be just like in plain text. If you're sending a password to your server to, to verify, you don't want someone to intercept it in the middle. You don't want it to be available completely like unhashed or unencrypted. So you have to figure out how encryption works, how cryptography works. Hashing. Again, we mentioned password hashing. You essentially in your database, when you're storing a password, you don't want to store a plain text password or even sometimes an email. Sometimes you'll hash your email and your password together so that when, if someone were to even leak your database somehow, it's not a, a, a detriment to the users, right? Like they'll just, the, the users have no identifiable data in the database because everything's hashed. Right. So again, this is another complexity that you have to figure out for enhanced security. And it goes on and on on that side, like having to figure out how to secure everything, make sure that there's no hacks, make sure that all of your code that you've written, cryptography, everything isn't doesn't have any vulnerabilities. Like if you're a new developer, good luck. Like Honestly, good luck. Like you're, you're going to screw up no matter how good you think you are in the first month of your job. If you roll your own auth, you're going to have a vulnerability because there's just so many things that can go wrong. It's also like such a, a second, like a second thought as well nowadays where like, yes, auth is important. It needs to be secure and, and whatever, but you know, everyone has auth now. And if you're new and you're going to be spending time, especially if you had do have a deadline and you'd spend some of that deadline time, that working time on making authentication when you could have just like used a third party, like, some some services will only have OAuth. Like they won't allow you at all to do use anything else but OAuth. I've seen services that only use Twitter or only use Google. And that's it. Right. And then maybe as they grow, they'll usually add others. But like, I mean, that works for them. It's because who wants to say, oh, like we didn't get any of the features of the web app or the website done, but we did get authentication working. It's like, I mean, like that's not, not gonna be super acceptable. Like, like yes, yes, authentication is, you know, not easy. And, and needs to be secure and everything like, like, like we already said, but to especially a client, someone that you're working for, they're probably just going to think like, well, just like quickly make a login thing. And then, then they're going to think of the actual web app or whatever's behind that login as being the bulk of the work of which it, you know, normally would end up being that, but they're not even going to think of the login as being a part of the work barely. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a, a very good reason for that is because like it's been solved. There's plenty of services. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that you can't, like most of the time, you can't just copy paste something and just have login all of a sudden working. There are some exceptions, and I'll, I'll mention those later on in the episode. But for the most part, you're still going to have to implement an authentication system. Mm -hmm. You just won't probably build it from scratch. That's all I'm saying. Uh, next thing here is client server session auth. So when you have a full stack application, you're going to have the client, so your web page or your web app the thing that people are interacting with, UI. And you're also going to have a server. Anytime you're dealing with auth, you have to have some sort of server that will handle the secure connections to your database or the secure connections to your APIs to make sure that you're not leaking any API keys so your passwords aren't leaking and stuff like that. Most of your authentication will happen on the server. 
But the thing is, is that your, your client still needs to be authenticated. And how you handle that a lot of the times is with something called server sessions, right? So your session on the server, it's like a session cookie, essentially. You store that session both on the server and the client. And anytime you do an action, your client will send the same the session cookie back to the server. The server will verify that it's the correct person because it already has that session cookie as well. And then it'll send back the authenticated information, right? So this, this part seems, again, maybe simple, but it's not. It's very complicated. So a lot of third-party authentication services will handle a lot of the server session stuff for you. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel here as well. Then last thing here is storing and accessing user account information. Now, depending on what service you use for your authentication, you might still need to handle a lot of the storing of, of user account information. There are some that will literally like handle the database of users for you, and you can go that route, and those routes are good. But a lot of third-party authentication services will just handle the authentication part and then give you guides and uh, like guides and boilerplate on how you would store that that information, right? And usually what happens is that you don't have to store the sensitive information, passwords and stuff like that. That's handled by the authentication service. You're just storing like user profile information like emails and Twitter accounts and social, any any social account or any user progress that you need to store and stuff like that. So you need to store that a little bit, but having if you don't use an authentication service, then you're going to need to build all that yourself, like all the sensitive information storing, the encryption on your database, all that. So I think that kind of breaks up, breaks down what auth can entail uh, from a high level to a kind of a lower level. So you have an understanding of the complexity of it. What I want to kind of jump to next is why you shouldn't roll your own auth. The first thing here is don't reinvent the wheel. So this is the biggest one. I've mentioned it before. It's already been done. There's great services out there and frameworks that handle authentication for you as a web developer. Okay. They're not like some of them are free. Some of them are, are, are paid and you can choose one, one or the other. There's great uh, like options for both, but to go in and write one yourself would be strange because again, a lot of these are open source. You can take pieces of it. If you really need some like very sensitive security stuff, you would still be taking pieces of already created and tested cryptography code or already created and tested uh, encryption stuff like that. You're not going to roll any of that yourself regardless. Right. So it just makes sense. Usually if you're a web developer and you're building a full stack application to take an already existing service and use it, it's already been done and tested. That's the great, that's the big thing we're here, right? Like maybe you can create your own auth. How are you going to test it against thousands and thousands of hackers and attackers? Right. Like where, what, like, how are you going to put that into your development stage? I don't even know how you like scope that out. Well, I'm going to create my auth and then I'm just going to pay a bunch of like white hats to come in and try to break it. That's an option, but that's still limited because that hasn't been tested over time. Whereas all these other services, they've been tested and broken and fixed and broken and fixed. And now like they're solid. Like if they're, if you look at the service and you look at their commits and pull requests and stuff like that, a lot of the ones that are highly rated and highly starred on GitHub, they're solid. No one's going to break in unless you screw up. What I find really interesting here with this don't reinvent the wheel thing is that it reminds me, I think we had an episode in the past called like coding for no coders or something like that. And I believe the content of that episode was about how um, 
like there were some tools that like people use and this is, you know, potentially one of them as well. And it kind of gives me the impression that web developers are avoiding this. So they're avoiding these services, excuse me, these are these already pre-made authentication services. And they prefer to roll their own because they're kind of almost seeing these services as like, I don't know, like second rate or they're seeing in them almost as like no code tools, you know, how like some, some web developers will be against a no code tool. And so like, what is, is that kind of the impression here, Mike? Because if you think about it, like IT, especially if you, like you mentioned SSO with, with external, like, you know, enterprise customers and such. I mean, a lot of IT places, they, they're not, they're not making authentication. They're using th- something like, you know, Microsoft Active Directory, uh, very frequently for, to sign into their, all their computers and, Make sure that they're secured and, you know, sign into certain assets, like maybe a, you know, a printer or whatever in the office, uh, and send jobs to it. And so it's just, I find it very interesting that it's like, like, why wouldn't you do this? And I think, I think it is because like people are thinking, well, like, I want this to be all custom. Like that, that, that mentality still exists. Like, why would I use somebody else's solution? Is, is that, is that true? Like, is that a, is that, does that statement hold true? Yeah. I think a lot of like, seasoned developers or developers have a a little bit of an ego sometimes and they will opt to not use like third-party solutions because of the fact that they know how to do it better and i'm doing air quotes obviously you can't see that on the podcast but realistically it's it's a fault it's a fallacy for many reasons and like one of those reasons is that you could get hacked no matter how good you are as a single developer you are not perfect no matter how you think you are um, you, you, you could get hacked. I'm not saying you will. Uh, and second of all, you're wasting time. A lot of this comes down to like, Hey, you need to build something. Auth is not the crucial part of your application. Like it's crucial in the sense that it's the thing that will prevent your application from being hacked and you from potentially having to do, you know, like, uh, potentially for being sued or whatever the case is. But it's not crucial from the functionality standpoint. It's just the thing that's get that's in the way. And you need to get it out of the way as quickly as possible to get to the actual features. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs auth. Auth is not gonna not a differentiator in your application. Mm-hmm. Unless you're really bad at it. Some auth is really bad and people will drop off because of that. But regardless, like you just need the service to work and you need to move on to the thing that you need to build. So you're wasting time, you're wasting resources, developer resources. And you're opening yourself to a potential attack vector when you could just be using a third-party solution. Some of them cost money and it's worth it most of the time. And I'll get into that in the next segment. But you need to weigh those options and choose the thing that works for you. So before we get into what you should use instead, I could, I do want to kind of go into what could go wrong if you don't if you decide to roll your own auth, right? So what are the consequences? One of those is obviously accounts being hacked. So if you do, if you have a if you have a vulnerability and someone is able to brute force into a uh, an account, like maybe you forgot to set up a rate limit on your password entry, so you, people can just put in a a key like a, a key logger or sorry a key breaker. I can't remember what the term is, but whatever whatever like puts in as many keys as possible, as many passwords as possible, and just brute brute force breaks it. Yeah, like that could. That could get into an account. You could also take down a service that way, like denial of a like a DDoS. DDoS, DDoS, yeah. So there's many different aspects of just forgetting a little thing like that, right? Everything is secure, but you forgot to write the adelorate limiter. Um, you could have a data leak. This one's fairly common. It happens to 
a lot of people still, even with third-party authentications. But without one, if you're building your own, you're opening yourself to up to even, even more. And maybe your data leak will be even more critical because a lot of times if you look, data leaks have been for the past, I don't know, 10 years, it's mostly just user data, right? It's mostly just like, hey, someone leaked a database of emails and social accounts. That The reason for that is that they're not leaking passwords is because they're, people are using third-party authentication methods that don't store passwords, that you that require you to, like, don't require you to store them. So it's, it's kind of an advantage that even if you have a data leak, yes, it's bad. Yes, people's emails are out there, but at least you're mitigating the aspect of someone actually logging into their account and doing something on their behalf. Um, a lot of times I've seen where, where someone will roll, roll their own auth is users start seeing each other's account data. So you'll log in. And because of that session, uh, client server session stuff that I was mentioning before, you'll see all of a sudden another user session. And so you'll be logged in as Mike, but I'll see Matt's banking details and I'll be able to execute commands as Matt. That's a super, super dangerous one. So you don't want that to happen. Uh, the other, th- the other thing here is cross-site scripting attacks. This one is dangerous for a lot of reasons. Um, but essentially what it allows you to do is someone can create a URL with JavaScript code in it. And if you're not protecting against that JavaScript code in the URL, what will happen is it will, as you lo- as someone clicks it and loads the site, it will execute the code that's present in your URL. And then some of that is like, Hey, take the user session data and send it to someone to, to send it to an API endpoint. And then you have that user session data and you're, you hijack their session and you're able to log in as them. Cause essentially when you log in again, I've mentioned before the session token, it generates that session token on your client that matches to your server. If someone takes that client token, like physically goes to your computer and takes that token, they're you. It's the same as them being you across, even if they're like on a different, in a different country. So another danger, and this is kind of like sidetrack a little bit, when you're, if you're at the library and you leave your account open, obviously they can execute stuff as you, but they could even like just copy paste your token, go home and still be you on, on their, on their home account. So really be careful when you're leaving your laptop open at work or you're leaving your laptop open at a coffee shop and you're not locking it and stuff like that. There's a lot of different attack vectors that can happen when you're physically there and then a even further down the line, someone can like pretend that they didn't do anything, but now they have your attack, your token, and then they can do something down the line, uh, like a, a day or two later, later that can, you know, steal money from you or something or you know, information. So this is something you can be opening yourself up to if you roll your own auth in a little bit of an easier way. Now, again, all the things that I've said, you, it's still possible for you to screw up a third party authentication. Right. Like it's still possible for you to implement it wrong or do something. But again, you're mitigating it. You're, you're going a little bit less chance of that happening because there's guides, there's uh, documentation, there's best practices. And hopefully as you're implementing something as important as auth, you'll go through all that and then test it and all that, et cetera, et cetera. So next thing here is what should you use instead? Right. So I've been talking about not rolling your own off. Well, what are the options out there? I'm only going to mention a few, um, but there's plenty of options. Just believe me on that. But for web developers specifically, uh, there's auth frameworks. So these are more, these are free solutions that are almost just open source libraries 
that allow you to handle authentication across any kind of OAuth platform or any situation that you can you you can have. They're a little bit more custom. They allow you to have full control. Like people were saying, like a lot of people say, like, hey, I don't have control. Well, use one of these frameworks. You can have as much control as you want because it's all open source. You can change the code. Now, if you change the wrong code, risky, but you can. You at least have a good base to start from. The two that I have personally tried, NextAuth or AuthJS, it's been rebranded as. So NextAuth was specifically designed for Next.js, the React framework, to essentially plug in to handle your server and client session tokens and handle all your authentication needs across all different providers of like, you know, Google, Firebase, uh, GitHub, all the different providers that you could possibly have, and then also handle your connection to the database. So when you, it kind of handled the, fir, the, the full stack of authentication. So when someone logs in, it would do the checking of password and email to then check the database with the provider that you've decided. So like it, it gives you like different, different adapters for any different database service that you want, that you need to have that supports Next.js. And it'll give you adapters for any provider that you need in terms of like authentication through uh, OAuth. So it handholds you across every step. Now you still have to implement every step, right? But a lot of it is copy paste and then change a few things, copy paste, change a few things, or just literally, uh, download, like, like download a starter and then adapt it to your use case, right? So. I did have I did have a question actually, and this this kind of stems from my own thoughts, but also I listened to a syntax episode a while ago now, um, and it was about kind of like whether you should I forget the name of the episode now, but it was kind of like one of those question marks. It raised one of those questions of, um, you know, if you're using a service, you're using a service, meaning that that service is another business. They can make their own decisions, they can make changes, but they can also shut down, and. When you were mentioning, you know, hey, you know, th- this has all these endpoints in it. If something supports Next.js, then it, it you know, and th- that's somebody else maintaining that code, right? I mean, it's maintaining all that stuff. So, I mean, I, I suppose one of the big arguments that you could have is that, hey, authentication is crucial, meaning it's a web app. Maybe everyone that uses it literally has to log in. This isn't a website where we get 50% of our um, 50% of our use out of like the public website and then 50% of the, of the use of the, the web app. It's, you know, all web app. The authentication is absolutely crucial. Why would we put it in someone else's hands when they're the ones maintaining it? They're the ones maintaining it. They're keeping it together. Um, and obviously there's going to be cases out there. And I, th- I think there were some cases out there uh, that Syntax had highlighted in the episode. It has been a while now, but th- where people had to do migrations and move over, move over to different services and things like that. Um, so like, what would you say to that as an argument if someone were to come to you and say, well, hey, you know, you just you just talked about what was it next off. And, you know, you said they had to support this and support that and support this. And like, what if they drop support for that? Or like, what if they decide to go away? Or what if, you know, whatever authentication service that I do use, what if they decide to shut down or what if they decide to like extremely rate limit me one day? And like, what do I do? And we've seen not with off necessarily, but we've seen this with Twitter slash X or whatever it is now where. um they, they've like, I forget what exactly what it was, but it was like with the API key, they raised the price or they made it so, it's like super, super expensive and Reddit, um, making it super, super expensive to the point where a lot of these sort of third party web apps and tools and things all died. So like, what's your, you know, what's your take on, you know, sort of that idea where you are putting 
realistically, from a UX perspective, um, and just a functionality perspective in general, like a crucial piece of your web website slash web app into the hands of a third party uh, thing that you know they they could go they could close they could close shop. So the good news is with these auth frameworks, and again I'm doing quotes, uh, but the the auth frameworks are just open source libraries. No one is you're not relying on a third party service. It's just a library. So worst case scenario, what could happen is the support could end for it. And you won't be able to update that library, right? But you could still use it for as long as you want. You're, it's up to you to connect to all the different services that you need to connect to at that point. When I say services in this scenario is one, one would be like a database provider. Like if you're using a database as a service or if you have like your own database. And the other service would be like an OAuth provider, which would be like Google and Microsoft and that. So those third-party services, you connect to yourself using these frameworks, right? So if one of those services goes down... You would have to adapt, but that's not on NextAuth. That's on you having to change up. If you need a, a custom third-party service, let's say like a new Google were to arise and it's just in its early stages, but it provides OAuth capabilities, right? And NextAuth doesn't support it. NextAuth does support custom adapters. So you just write your own adapter for that third-party service. Done. You're, you're good to go, right? Like just like you would in a custom auth. Okay, so that this is like... Again, the auth frameworks is a little bit of an in-between versus auth as a service, which is very similar to what you're mentioning, where the risk is there for the service to die, and then you have to either migrate or you're screwed, right? Like, or you can't migrate, maybe. Like, there's there's certain situations where, like, you might not be able to get, extract the user data in some, from some of these services. I've heard, I've heard that before, right? So there is a give and take at that point where you're like, you're risking it. Yes, it's a crucial part. But it's also saving you a ton of time and getting you to market really quickly. So you're making all that money that you wouldn't have been making before. Right. But with next off again, and the next one that I'm going to mention, that isn't really the risk. I suppose there is a part of mit- a risk mitigation in which, like, I mean, you're, I, get, I mean, you have to acknowledge it. It's, it's, it's mitigation. It's not risk complete, complete 100% watertight prevention. And so at some point you're sort of like, well, you know, there's a risk in anything. There's a risk like people, you know, you've heard horror stories of people who build all their income and whatever from, I don't know, being like on Twitter. And then all of a sudden like Twitter bans them or something happens to their account. And now it's like, man, like, okay. Or if like the social media platform just doesn't allow that type of content anymore on their site, doesn't like that. They, you know, they get rid of it or they, they don't, they don't show it out to people as much anymore. Do the algorithm is sort of like, well, you know, it is. You know, it's an unfortunate thing because you're on someone else's platform. And so, I mean, I guess there's a little bit of that, but like businesses will market on, you know, Twitter and they'll rely on marketing on Twitter and Facebook and this and that and the other thing. And there's no guarantee that that marketing will work forever. So I guess it's it, it, this, you know, you, you kind of get to the point where you're splitting hairs with risk mitigation where it's like, well, what if, what what if, what, what if? And it's like sometimes something's going to break, <laughs> you know, like sometimes something's going to go down and it's not good. But like, yeah, like it's good. Something's going to break sometimes. And like. That's it. That's that's <laughs> like it'd be great if your car always started, but like it's not the case. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So like you you weigh your options, you weigh your timelines. It all really comes down to like the amount of money that is available to for the development and the timeline. If you only have three weeks to develop something, I mean that's a crazy timeline, but it happens. You're not you don't have a choice. You have to use auth as a service. You don't have time to implement all these routes and all these different APIs. Like the, there's a lot that you have to do in auth, even with a framework like NextAuth. 
you need to use a third party one that will handle everything for you and it will just allow you to log a person in and they they can view like uh, sensitive content like if you have a membership site right like you don't like at that point you're just quickly building and you just you need to get it done so yeah it, it all comes down to that mitigation you can only do so much um so the next auth framework here is lucia uh lucia is more of a is is very similar to next auth it works with a lot of different services so next auth was designed for next it converted a little bit. It's still in early stages to be available for all the different frameworks like Astro and uh, SvelteKit. And uh, I'm not sure if Vue.js is considered one of those frameworks. I can't remember. But regardless, it works with more frameworks than just Next now. That's why they've rebranded as Auth.js, right? So it allows you to use it wherever you want, including just standard JavaScript. Um, Lucia was developed in that mindset right away where it will work with any framework. Right. So it's very similar. It's a little bit more simple, in my opinion. So it's a little bit easier to implement across the board. Um, but it's also not as heavily used. So again, you're weighing that like it's been tested, but it hasn't been tested as much as next off. So maybe it's not as secure. I don't know. I'm not saying that like as a fact, I'm just saying that that's probably the scenario in terms of like how much testing has been done. Um, but it's another good option. Definitely check it out. Again, we'll have links to both of these or all the services that we talk about in the show notes. So if you want to, if you want to check them out, go to our show notes or obviously search on Google. The next thing we're going to talk about is auth as a service. So Matt just mentioned it. Uh, it's where you have to rely on a third party at this point to handle your authentication. So first one, first ones we're going to talk about is Firebase and Supabase. Those are probably the most common ones across the board that people use where they will handle pretty much everything for you in terms of like user authentication and storing user data as well. Okay. So this is where like someone will log in. This won't connect to a third-party database. This will connect to Firebase and their user data will be in Firebase and you'll get the information directly from Firebase. So if you want to use a different database, you can, but you're not going to have user data in the different database. You're going to have a split. You're going to have your database, with ha- which has like, let's say, posts. And then you're going to have to link to the Firebase database, which would have your, your sensitive user information. Yeah, you'd have like your like you'd have like your posts and then like another thing related to it that would say like yeah. members only. And then it would check and be like, is Bill a member? Yes. OK, can show this now. Something like that. Exactly. Right. So like it, it's just a little bit more a little bit weirder, but totally doable. People do it all the time. Or you go full in to Firebase ecosystem and you have both your, because Firebase has database support. Like you can have a database inside Firebase and you have, then you have user data and your posts and everything inside of Firebase, right? And that's what obviously what Google wants you to do or Superbase, the company wants you to do is use their system top to bottom, like the full stack. Uh, But they do offer the option to use it as a separate service just for authentication, which is cool. The negative here is that it's tough to tough or nearly impossible. I don't want to say impossible because I haven't done enough research onto it from the, the little bit of reading that I did, especially for Firebase. It's pretty much impossible to extract the user data from Firebase. So that's risky, risky on multiple levels. One, it's Google. So they could just close Firebase anytime. Even even yeah. if it's profitable, be like, yeah, we're not feeling it. Yeah. Even if it's profitable, doesn't matter. They'll give you three months. It's done. It's gone. OK, so that's. I'm not saying that they're going to do that, but with Google, it is a realistic possibility. But second of all, it, they could up the price. So right now, currently, Firebase is free. Firebase Auth is free. 
no matter how many users you have, it's free. Will it remain that way? Mm, highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. So you have to weigh that. Right now it's free. That's great. Maybe for a proof of concept, that's a perfect thing to use. But if you're going to be creating a very long tail application that's going to be around for five years, maybe it makes sense to, after you do the proof of concept, migrate away. Well, how are you going to migrate? Because <laughs> you can't extract user information. So it's a, it's a, again, do your research when you're when you're choosing one of these authors of service. Test it out. Make sure that you're not locked in as much as you need to be. Maybe you're okay with using Firebase forever. That's fine, but be careful. The next one here, and the one that kind of started this whole conversation, even is Clerk. So Clerk is a full support authentication platform. Okay, this is this isn't Firebase where it's like, hey, we're just going to give you APIs and a database. This is essentially something like Firebase with Nextoff built in. So you, all you need to do is just kind of NPM init it, and it will <laughs> give you full authentication in your application. It'll give you all the endpoints. It'll give you all your session storage information back and forth. Like it'll set your your repo up, like your next repo. Uh, I think it only supports React right now. Uh It'll set your React, your Next.js, whatever other React-based frameworks there are, repo up, repo up for authentication for you. Not only that, it will give you UI elements like a login button or a, like a sign-up form and a sign-in form that you can just copy-paste like as a component that will directly connect to Clerk as a service. So it is a full-stop authentication solution. That's all they care about. They don't have any other third-party databases, whatever. They care about authentication. They allow you to store user information with them, but they also allow you to sync user information to your own database. It's a little bit janky. It's not perfect sync, but you are able to do it if you need to offboard. Okay, but you can store user information with them as well. So this... Again, goes back to the give and take. Clerk is not a free service. So you have a free tier to test it out. But as soon as you go up, you're paying probably like anywhere between $25 to $200 a month for like, I don't know, 5,000 users or 10,000 users, right? So you're, you're paying, you're paying some a premium to use a service like Clerk. But again, you have to go back to what your goals are. If you need authentication in the next three weeks, like this is the service and yeah, maybe 25 or $200 a month is a lot, but if you have 5,000 or 10,000 paying members, it's nothing. So it's all about the financial side of things. Like it, it could be just an afterthought in your, in your bottom line. Yeah. In your bottom line, like you can have, if every, if 5,000 users are paying $25, who cares? And that's totally a reasonable thing that can happen with a web application. Right, like you could have a free tier, yeah, and that then that might eat into your uh, eat into your users, but whatever. Like you have to do that math. The the from the cost analysis that I did on it when I was uh, contemplating using it recently, it makes sense for a lot of different applications. When you start going huge, when you start going to like a few hundred thousand users, active users it starts to become a little bit too expensive in my opinion, where you're like, okay, well now maybe I can start thinking about rolling off. But again, if you have those hundreds of thousands of users and they're paying, it almost mitigates it. So it it does a lot, so much for you. And I'm not 
paid by clerk or anything like that. It's just, I know auth and I've had to deal with auth for the last few years. So something that came around that legitimately solved authentication is something that I'm excited about. Now, what I want from them is for them to support other frameworks. I don't like that they support only Next.js and a handful of other uh, frameworks in the React space. Please support SvelteKit. I've heard that they are slowly working on it. So great. I'm, I'm kind of hoping for that because I would probably use it in like quick situations where I need a quick web app that has authentication. It's a really easy solution to a very complicated problem. And that's where as a service usually comes in handy. And and also with that, I mean, it's, you know, easier said than done, but we were talking about what happens if your, your service or your uh, framework becomes unsupported or, you know, whatever, and you have to migrate to another, another um, authentication service. Maybe you were paying zero or close to zero for what you did have, but in an emergency situation, I mean, paying $200 a month for a few months for a business that's functioning, uh, that's actually like profitable and like has revenue it, to, to very quickly be able to flip over to clerk is, I mean, a great selling point. And then whether you stick there, whether you stay with them or not, you know, is up to you and your team. But, um, it's a great way to be like, Oh my God, this is going to shut down in three months. What do we do? Well, let's just quickly get up over here. We'll stay on it for three months. It'll cost us $600. Uh, and we'll see if we like it or maybe we should do whatever. But you, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it's the same thing I, I say for a lot of subscription services, which is it allows you to budget for it where you know that expense is coming. You know how long that expense gets you. So $200 a month. So whatever, 30, 31 days and allows you to kind of budget it in and get the speed in this particular context of installation and, and configuration. And that's the thing. Like, Clerk also has like crazy stuff like verification emails in it, custom domains, like SMS verification. Like it has so many different like auth services that you would have to add on. And I've added on myself um, that it kind of almost pays for itself. Verification emails, for instance, uh, like when you sign up and you get a verification email and then you have to click on it. I have to usually pay for that from like a service like SendGrid and that costs me more than $25 a month. So right there like you're <laughs> you're saving you're saving money on just verification emails it's a weird it's a weirdly price effective model that they have yes they probably do make a considerable amount of money on it because it's not cheap right but at the end of the day it is kind of doing a lot for you at least and i i like services that provide that that kind of process where i can see them profiting already and i know that if they do have price increases, they're going to be reasonable rather than like a service that's like, hey, here's our free tier that can almost last forever, a la Google. But I'm a, it, it, like the fear of them just canceling it is very high because how can you maintain this? Like you're, you're doing something that's detrimenting the company rather than doing something that's reasonable for both the user and the company. So like a little bit of a tangent on like how I would handle a SaaS myself. I would always handle it to the point where like, there has to be at least you have to be at least breaking even for it to make sense in the long term. I don't want to be having a situation where I have to rely on VC funding forever or for a certain amount of time and then crank up my prices just to jank like a, a, a couple dollars from users that are like cemented into the system that can't get out. Like that's a stupid system. And honestly, I hate that about VC funded startups right now. Um, but yeah, so that's my rant on Clerk. That's where this kind of all started. Someone on Reddit posted a post about kind of 
bashing the clerk model of authentication. And it was just a really uninformed post and it missed a lot of the nuances where clerk does make sense. Um, so yeah, I, I, that, that's where, <laughs> that's where I thought I needed to do an episode like this to make sure that people understand that there's are, there are options and then there are soft, like ser- service options and framework options. Last thing I want to talk about here, uh, is when would it actually make sense to roll your, uh, your own authentication, right? So we talked about when you shouldn't, when should you? Well, the first thing I could think of and the thing that I did myself was like when I'm learning how to build as full stack applications, I rolled my own authentication, just learning like just how to learn. And I figured out all the different complexities and I figured out that why it's so important to use these frameworks, right? And you, you, you learn a lot about other stuff as you're building an authentication system that is really valuable in my opinion. So if you're, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of security, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of full stack and how these services work, rolling your own auth as a test and as your own internal thing, do it because it can be kind of challenging and fun at the same time. Just don't do it as a production application. Don't put it live is my suggestion. Even if it is just dummy data, you could accidentally have someone come onto your site and accidentally put in their real data into your custom authentication that you built out as one of your first projects. Um, that's dangerous. The next thing here is maybe like major confidential work that requires extremely specific security protocols, like maybe using like an iris scanner or something crazy that I can't think of where you can't rely on a third party and you have to do everything yourself because you don't even want anyone to know what kind of authentication code you're using, right? Like authentication by uh, obfuscation. Not yep. a good way, not a good way to go about it, honestly. And it's been proven that you can get burned that way. But in certain situations, government projects, something like that, it might be the way you have to go because they'll be like, you can't use third party uh, libraries. You cannot use a third party thing that someone can see online. So you're only doing internal uh, code and therefore you're rolling your own. Now, I would, what I would still do in that situation is use certain aspects, certain pieces of fully tested, like cryptography code. Like if I'm encrypting a password, that's been solved to RSA, whatever. Like you're not going to be designing your own encryption algorithm and you don't need to also pull in a NPM package to encrypt something. You can first of all do it. I believe with the cryptography plugin for right from browsers or you can just copy paste the code right like you don't have to use a package you can just take the code that's available online alter it however you want and copy paste it into your application you don't have to rely on a third-party package so and stuff like that like there's going to be little pieces of the puzzle that you're just going to pull in and some of it you'll design yourself because you're going to have specific requirements but you still won't build it from scratch in my opinion i don't know it'd be crazy well, we had a we got pulled into a job one time, and I mean, a lot of the details are under NDA, so I'll you know anonymize details as I go here. But uh, we had a we had a, a job we quoted where we weren't allowed to see the content that the login portal was going to protect. The login portal was unable to have any identifiable bits in it, so you couldn't have an email associated with any profiles. You couldn't have a unique identifier that with a list of who was who anywhere. Like we weren't allowed to see that. We weren't allowed to know names of who was going to log into this thing. We weren't allowed to know anything. 
And basically what we were making was something that was completely anonymized where someone would go and type their username as one, two, three, four, and the password as, you know, whatever, one, two, three, four, five, six, hopefully more secure than that. You get my gist. And then it would load into an area that we could design, but were not authorized to see the content of. And it was at this level of anonymity where I was like, guys, you know, if if something goes wrong, there like there does come a point where I'm going to have to look at some logs. And they're like, absolutely not. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, mean, I guess two person web dev shop. That sounds like a perfect job for us. Sounds Let's like a perfect. <laughs> sounds like a perfect job. Well, they didn't go with us because of that, actually, because well, I didn't mention that. Because I'll disclose that. Like I'll be like, hey, just to let you know, like this is a two person operation. Uh, just to let you know. <laughs> like, I just want to be realistic. I want you to know your expectations. Like, you know, I'll help you absolutely as much as I can. But, uh, yeah, we, we got two people on staff here, including including the person you're talking to right now. So um, if something is like this locked down, uh, okay. Maybe go with a government contractor or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the guy was even describing it to me. He said, like, there was a, there was going to be a ledger of identify, identifiers between them. And the ledger was going to be under, like, a, like a, what sounded like, and he didn't tell me what it was, but what sounded like a fairly large amount of physical security in, in an undisclosed location, of course. Of course, this location was undisclosed as well. So I was – I quoted a ghost a job. Um <laughs> Yeah. Just a straight up ghost. It was it was that SEAL team they don't talk about. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> so yeah, so yeah, like I mean that I mean that was one of those instances in where a custom auth was literally a requirement. And uh I mean custom auth with a lot of a lot of more a lot more security conscious items than you would normally expect. Yeah, that sounds I can't even remember what that was, Matt. Like that must have blocked that out because it was so irrelevant to the fact that we're never going to do this. Um, but yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been a fun time. No, no I reset passwords. I could imagine us just being like black ops killed at the end of that <laughs> mission. Like, <laughs> like what? why is it so secure? I don't, okay. <laughs> well, the other thing too was I was trying to explain to them. I was like, okay, well, normally how will like there, there's vehicles to deliver key things. So I was like, for example, Someone forgets their password, you reset the password. It's like absolutely no password recovery. It's like, okay, like, I mean, fair enough. Like, that's not that crazy. And I was like, but then how do we set them up? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, so I'm like, so I'm like, let's say like Mike, like you're number one, two, three, four. Um, how do I tell you that you're number one, two, three, four? And I was like, normally what would happen is one, two, three, four would have an email associated with it and we would we would communicate with with that email. That's a unique identifier. So then we were having a discussion on you know, either physically delivering these username and passwords to people in a secure way where in which they would be given a card in the presence of someone who's authorized and they would have to memorize it and ne- never be shown that card again. Why do I feel like this was not re- like actually required at all in any shape or way? Like, you know what I mean? Like this, I'm, I'm from my memory, this wasn't a government you know, military contract. It was not government. It was not military. It was not dangerous. Let's say, let's put it that way. Yeah. It was someone overcomplicating a system that did not need to be overcomplicated. And that's probably why I don't remember it. But like, yeah, there's no way that even in a government situation, like, I mean, unless you're building a CIA database, like literally the only reason you would ever have a situation like that, you're not 
ever going to build a system. So, so here, here's here's an even an even crazier step, though, Mike. We had a conversation about where it was going to live. Like, where where is the data physically on the planet? Oh my God. And so I said, well, like, I'm going to be hosting it, and I rent servers from people. And that was like a major, like, well, yeah, oh that my, is like, a major. Oh my god! Like, where, like, where are you hosting this? And I was like, well, I host it. You know, I'll host it wherever you want. Like, we work with a couple different providers, and they're, you know, in various areas across the globe. So I'll, you know, I can get one that's close to you, or get one that's close to us, or get one that's whatever. And we then had a very serious conversation. It was, I shouldn't say very serious. We had a, a conversation after about talking to their IT company about installing the server like locally so that it could be under the same physical security as we discussed the ledger would be under. And it was just like, man, like, should we be doing this meeting on Zoom? <laughs> That's a great question, actually. Like, should we yeah. really? Like, if I drove drove to your office, if I could even drive there, I don't know exactly where where they were, but like, should I be getting a rental car under a shell corporation so that I'm unidentified? Should I be wearing a mask? Like, what are we, what are we yep. doing? Christ. So yeah, that's that is when you you roll your own authentication. <laughs> yep, that's fair. That is a fair statement right there, but you don't take those clients. <laughs> I mean, we were going to, but uh, unfortunately, they said that they found someone else. And I was like, probably someone that like, you probably should have went to like a security firm, not a web dev firm. And then the security firm would help you make a website type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that. <laughs> is that um? Is that all you had to, is that all you have for the episode here? Do you want to run the old conclusion? Do you have anything else to yeah. add? Yeah, runner up. I think we're good. Alrighty, well, uh, if you want to support episodes like this, we are on that Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier pa- patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital and BlueBlackDigital.com, Tim from the WebHack and TheWebHacker.com, uh, Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com, Gunner Burnett uh, via GunnerBurnett.com, Watoto Coding via WatotoCoding.com, uh, Garrett Segal and Level Up Financing, excuse me, Level Up Financial Planning LLC. Please leave a comment or a review in the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.